This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Welcome to Breaking Banks Europe. I am Paolo Cironi, your host today, and I'm here for a wonderful conversation about ESG Billions Fund, which is a special edition brought to us by Societe Generale as part of our Carbon series of Breaking Banks Europe. As you know, Breaking Banks Europe is part of Breaking Banks family of podcasts, which is the number one fintech podcast worldwide. Now, I have three guests today with whom I want to share a conversation about uh, sustainability. We have uh, Isabel Milat, she's uh, Head of Sustainability Societe Generale Global Markets. Welcome, Isabel, I guess you're joining from Paris. I am joining for, for Paris indeed, and uh, thank you very much for having me. No, thanks, it's a very important topic, and I know your point of view is really interesting. We also have uh, from Dubai, Matteo Stefanel, he's the founder of uh, APIS, an ESGI native private equity fund. So welcome, Matteo, you are the investor. Thank you, Paolo. Delighted to be here and to meet everyone. Thanks. So then we have a financial institution, we have an investor, but we also have a market infrastructure, settlement and custody. It is uh, a pleasure to introduce you to Stefan Puya. He's the global head of capital markets, funds, ETFs, and ESG services at Euroclear. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you very much. And um, as, as it has been said before, it's, it's such an important and strategic topic for the generation to come, I'm delighted to be here and to talk about it. Thanks. So as I mentioned, we have a representative from a financial institution, a representative from direct investing, and a representative of market infrastructure. ESG is a very broad topic. Sustainability is a relevant topic. We'll try to cover as much as possible. But to start, uh, I would like to tell you something that I saw the other day, which is uh, 10 times uh, more powerful and better than Greta Thunberg. It's basically a video of uh, the UN uh, assembly where uh, a dinosaur appears and steps into the UN assembly. And everybody's concerned that it's a dinosaur, but then the dinosaur doesn't care. It goes on the podium and has a speech addressing all of the UN invitees. And basically the dinosaur says, I'm here because we got extinct. And I'm realizing that uh, you're also facing extinction. Now, because the real problem and the difference is that we got hit by an asteroid. We didn't build it, but you're building your own asteroid. So basically, you are the cause of the problem. That's why you can also be the solution of the problem. Now, the problem is daunting and the solution might not be easy, but that's what we are here today discussing, how we can find that through finance and technology, a solution to the sustainability problem. Now, breaking banks is about fintech, so finance and technology. And I believe there is uh, a tension as well as an opportunity in both finance and technology. Let me explain, first of all, the problem of finance. Typically, Wall Street wants uh, uh, financial institutions, corporate, to focus on the short term. Of course, of course, the long term is always important, but we have the annual report, the quarterly calls, uh, the weekly meetings. Now we even have the daily or hourly meme stocks discussions. 
So how can we reconcile the typical short-termism of Wall Street with the need of investing for the long term, which requires a different way of thinking? Second, technology. It is a fact that the technology is consuming energy, which requires a consumption of resources and therefore contributes to the problem of global warming. So on the one side, uh, all of us sharing our pictures on Facebook and our posts on LinkedIn contributed to this excess utilization of uh, resources. But at the same time, technology can also find a solution like reducing the impact of energy generation, as well as possibly creating awareness among people, the investors, the consumers, about a problem which is otherwise considered the distance, even though we know that there will be more and more sandstorms in Dubai, like I believe there is one happening today, or uh, there's more uh, typhoons coming apparently actually in the Mediterranean Sea. So it is effectively a changing climate, uh, what we're experiencing today. So now we are discussing today the role of finance and technology in addressing and resolving the sustainability problem. But first of all, we need to define what really ESG is all about. So I want to start uh, with Isabel. Isabel, I actually saw a very interesting interview you gave to Bloomberg when you discussed the difference between searching for value and investing or lending with values. So like there is a difference between value and values. So I will start from here if you can help uh, our audience to understand what the difference is all about. Well, uh, sure. And uh, first, uh, thank you for, for the question. I, I think it's very important. Uh, if we try to take shortcuts and uh, start discussing ESG, uh, especially with clients, without clarifying first, you know, what's under uh, the acronym, there can be no productive discussion. And uh, there can even be a risk of misunderstanding or misrepresentation, and I think we'll come back to this uh, later. But uh, yes, indeed, uh, ESG uh, is not an, invest, uh, uh, an investment class per se. It's not an asset class, it's a style. Uh, ESG solutions are very diverse and they cover multiple asset classes, risk levels, you know, you have active funds, index-based funds, and of course, uh, a full range of uh, custom saving products uh, issued by, by banks. And, and the benefit is there is a multiplicity of choices, but the challenge is uh, we must, you know, conduct due diligence to make sure, you know, we have a perfect understanding of what ESG means for our clients so that we meet their needs. And yes, a key divide, as you suggested, is some uh, first look at the do good part, which is akin to values, and others at the do well part, which is akin to value. And in truth, in my conversation with, with clients, they want a bit of both. But you know, uh, these two main uh, uh, objectives, do good, do well, can be achieved through a, a number of styles. And as I said, there are many. So for the sake of time today, I'll just focus on three main styles. Uh, the first one would be exclusions, either they're values-based or, or risk-based. Uh, they're quite common. The second one is what we call uh, integration of ESG factors, and it's usually financially driven. You integrate ESG criteria which are proven to have an impact on companies' returns, hence portfolios' returns, right? So that's the second one. Third one, of course, is thematic investing. 
you select uh, your portfolio along uh, a certain theme. And a very popular one, of course, recently uh, has been to select companies which are uh, best positioned to benefit from all the green stimulus packages, which, you know, uh, have been uh, debuted in the wake of the, of the recent pandemic. So, you know, different styles, which can be uh, subdivided into uh, multiple thematics, for example. Um, lastly, um, I think it's important because it's, uh, it's growing in popularity to mention impact investing. Um, it's kind of at the end, if you will, of the uh, thematic spectrum where uh, clients focus in, at a maximum level on the outcome they want uh, with their portfolios. But it's a challenge, you know, demonstrating impact requires measurability, intentionality, and also what we call additionality. You'd need to prove if your money were in there, the impact, environmental or social, would not have existed. It's usually achieved in uh, illiquid markets, and so it could be the remit of rather high net worth or ultra high net worth individuals. And, you know, uh, I think uh, it's very important to, uh, to leverage uh, the capacity of these high net worth individuals, but it's also important to offer uh, to all investors, including individual investors, solutions that have ESG factors to do good, but also uh, the financial uh, characteristics that each investor needs, for example, you know, liquidity. So again, you know, the do good and the do well factors bundled together. Isabelle, you really touched upon most of the topics we want to develop today together. Um, if I can summarize or focus on a few points now, um, we can say that values uh, is about uh, the preferences uh, of uh, the final investors, uh, so the real stakeholders uh, of our society, which is everybody of us. Like uh, social responsibility investing, for example, is a bit more values to rate and value because value is about uh, extracting performance from our decisions. And ESG is becoming broader and more discussed in terms of academic research as well. Now, you're saying there's many ways of trying to extract that value. It can be from exclusion. That was maybe the first, uh, the early days uh, ESG uh, type of approach. Now you're like including specific stocks because, uh, and this will be very important as we continue the conversation, um, the, the practice might increase uh, the disclosure of uh, corporate uh, and financial institution strategies, uh, which uh, in return will enable them to be picked up or not uh, if they don't comply with uh, their, uh, if you like, uh, public mandate. But then I'm looking at uh, Matteo because uh, Isabel also said that, well, there's also impact. There's ESG and there's impact. And I guess APIS is ESGI. And I, I presume the last I is about impact uh, as you are a private equity company, right? The acronym is needs to be explained. So uh, Matteo, can you, can you clarify to us the difference between ESG and impact? Of course. Of course, and first I'll, I'll start off by saying that I was smiling and nodding for the uh, audio-only audience. I was smiling and nodding a lot as Isabel was speaking because every single thing that she said resonates enormously with, with our philosophy. The, um, uh, the fact that the choice between value and values is not a choice, is not a trade-off, but indeed there is a high level of correlation to um, financial returns when we invest with values, with deliberate, deliberate, granular 
provable, demonstrable values behind our investment decisions and how in itself um, ESG or indeed impact is not and should not be treated as a separate asset class, but rather it is a way of doing things, a way that five, six, seven years ago when we started was one of the many ways. Today, it's clearly the preferred ways. And going forward, in our opinion, certainly it's going to be the only way. And the only way because it will be unacceptable for any private investor or hopefully public investor to invest in ways that are not consistent with environmental, social governance, as well as in the future, impact-driven um, methodologies and strategies. Now, having said that, you asked me a very direct question, what is the difference between ESG and impact? So let me go to the actual answer. Um, ESG um, has in the past been defined as a more static approach, meaning an assessment as you invest in a company of its own, and I'm, I'm talking from a private investor point of view, of its environmental qualifications, of its social characteristics and its governance elements and changing them to comply with what we think is global best practice. Now, I think this is a reductive definition and, and it's certainly not our definition. ESG can definitely be treated in a dynamic fashion and it can definitely follow on and continue improving companies um, as, a, as a methodology for, for monitoring and for fostering change in the companies in which we invest. Impact, on the other hand, as Isabel very correctly said, is more about um, uh, making change in the uh, community that the company serves, in the constituency that the company serves, um, that is a direct result of the two contributions that investors like us can bring. One is capital, the other one is value additional value creation, in, in effect, um, call it expertise. And so um, we are a financial services focused uh, fund manager. And as a result, for us, the expertise is specifically what we know about payments, about banks, about insurance companies, and how we can help management teams um, to improve. But on the impact side, you bring those two contributions, capital and um, value creation, how those elements can foster change in a measurable manner. Uh, if you want the Druckerian view of, of uh, impact uh, uh, management, if it can't be measured, it cannot actually uh, really be considered and change the societies in which we, um, we operate. Now, this sounds a little bit woolly. It isn't. It's very, very crisp because, as I said, it has to be measured. So you're talking about employment. You're talking about um, uh, equality, opportunity, convenience of the products offered, uh, affordability. So it's all very clear cut. So, Matteo, in the second half of the podcast today, I would want to focus about uh, the measurement that you mentioned, which is very important and is where financial institutions have basically to, to, to buy into something new because they're not used to measure outside uh, their own turf, which is the one of financial performance. Now, I would say that impact uh, is linked to a specific goal. Uh, so it's more clear cut uh, where you want to go to with that money invested. While ESG is a bit more like uh, ratings and dynamic, hopefully allocation, where, however, there has to be in the end, the way of linking back to the promise of the materiality 
of that ESG investment could be like a reduction of uh, the carbon footprint of something like this. Now, if you think about allocation and ratings, we think about data, we think about everything that goes around the management of funds. So we can think of market infrastructure as well. So I'm looking at Stefan here and I want to ask him what is ESG from the point of view of the market infrastructure? Uh, thank you, Paolo. Well, I think uh, uh, even before we talk about market infrastructure, I want to say one, in my mind, extremely important thing. You're welcome. Is that um, we, we see, and you mentioned it at the uh, introduction, that the, the external um, climate change is accelerating very rapidly and pandemia has kicked in and we anticipate other disasters like that that will probably uh, continue and uh, and i am a strong believer that the financial industry and the banking industry is for once uh, going to be perceived as one of the main catalyst and enabler of this esg transformation that is so important so it's the first time that uh, potentially, you know, capitalism is going to do good as opposed as uh, being perceived as, as 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 the bad guy. One of the things that infrastructure, but not just infrastructure, not just market infrastructure like Europe here, but you know, the the whole financial ecosystem is going to do is to 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 provide transparency. And it's it's very much the merger of this fintech, as you mentioned earlier, and and the financial sector. The fact that Today, thanks to the new technology, the, the financial industry is going to become far more transparent. And it's extremely important when we talk about those, those three points that uh, uh, was highlighted by Isabel and, and Matteo, which are, you know, uh, uh, do good, do well, and measure impact. Um, we were very concerned uh, five years ago by the exclusion. Why? Because in fact, the exclusion doesn't help transformation. And if you exclude someone, then he, you don't give him any chance to actually correct his, 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 his behavior, which, which uh, we much prefer the ability to measure impact. And so as an infrastructure and a global infrastructure, it's really important for Europe here to help in issuers around the world, meet investors around the other side of the world in the most efficient and transparent way so that they don't misunderstand each other, potentially create some greenwashing and, and, and the like, because the expectation of one or, not, or, or the other are different. So transparency through technology and, and, and the financial ecosystem will probably bring the capital markets at the right place at the right time to achieve exactly what we want to do, which is to have this EAGI, <laughs> as you mentioned, and the traceability uh, uh, is, is extremely important. For us, when it comes to the impact, we don't see that more different in terms of management than the measurements of financial impact. It's just happened that ESG are non-financial impact, but the tooling and the mechanisms are exactly the same. So we, we want to make sure that emerging markets benefit from the same type of technology and the same type of access that advanced economy. Otherwise, there is a risk that only advanced economy will become uh, the best green or EAG uh, players, but we are all living in one single planet. So we, we will be as, as strong as the weakest element. So it's very important to have the global inclusion and that's where probably 
and infrastructure like Europe here is 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 very important. So Stefan, when you say transparency, you lead me up immediately. Um, my financial market transparency theory released a couple of years ago is uh, reutilized and repurposed in my upcoming new book in one week, uh, Banks and Fintech on Platform Economy. And at the very end, I have uh, a graph, which is like uh, the two fingers of God and Adam that touch together. At the bottom, you have financial performance, the products, and at the top, you have ESG, the stakeholders and the consumers. And what enables them to be in touch is the advisory platform, basically the capability of communicating with clients and all discussing the daunting problem of the climate, society, and so on and so forth. So then I would say, Isabel, a question for you. Uh, implicitly, uh, Stefan mentioned that uh, the increased awareness uh, of climate change uh, is revealing the pain, but also the opportunity which is uh, inviting many investors to embrace uh, ESG language or criteria or to open that conversation with their bank and their advisor. On the other side, you also have the corporate that are needed to do more. Is this the reason, so this increased volume, the reason for the financial success? Uh, there's another reason for the success of ESG going forward. Can you help us clarify where both successes in terms of performance might or will come from? Uh, sure, absolutely. I mean, uh, I view uh, three main drivers uh, for success. Um, the first one is awareness. Uh, the second one actually is also a, a regulatory context uh, these days, especially in Europe. Um, and the, the, the third one is uh, financial innovation and then financial performance, uh, as you mentioned. So regarding uh, awareness, for sure, you know, it, it modifies consumers' behaviors, hence investors' behaviors, this awareness of climate change, but also other environmental or, or social uh, factors. And, and the, the COVID crisis has been a driver of awareness. Uh, in a way, the, the forced uh, slowdown have, uh, has uh, made people see firsthand, uh, you know, the, the environmental impact of economic activities. And uh, it also raised uh, awareness on social issues such as uh, supply chain safety or, or the mm -hmm. fair treatment of employees by companies. And, and uh, to be concrete, this context, for example, uh, has increased traction for uh, some investment solutions uh, where investors can make a voluntary contribution to a carbon emission reduction. Or uh, another example, it's uh, increased traction for um, just transition themed baskets or indices. So awareness and, and spurred by, by the crisis uh, is important. Regulation also helps. Uh, as you say, um, we, we need a conversation. We, ne we need awareness of all on solutions uh, that are uh, available and uh, regulations actually ensure ESG becomes a must and not an option in the uh, investment conversation. Also, of course, uh, there are the companies, as you said, you know, finance is at one end of the, of the chain. It all starts in the real economy and companies. And here, regulations and then laws modify uh, the environment in which companies operate and, you know, activities that are, that are actually profitable. Uh, and, and when laws uh, ensure uh, companies' environmental or social externalities impact their top or bottom line, they are, of course, investments will, will flow uh, to those uh, companies which are most respectful. Um, so, so we certainly focus on regulation for the starting of the second part of this podcast. But before we go to the second part, uh, I have a question for Matteo. Uh, 
having heard what uh, Isabel and Stefan said, but also what you said before, you said something like uh, everything will have to be ESG. You launched uh, a fund, which is ESG. Would that differentiate going forward if everything is ESG labeled? How do you do that? That's such, such a topical question. Absolutely. I think... Uh, like with uh, governance, you would assume that governance should be um, uh, global, all-encompassing. Every company should have good governance, but not every company does, as we know for the fact that we need to have ESG and we need to have the G in ESG. Equally, uh, I think going forward, ESG will be applied, as well as impact, in my opinion, uh, broadly to all fund investors. And I have a little point on something that is well said, but I'll go back to that uh, in a second about Please. impact. But, um, uh, but the difference will be made by how truthfully, how wholly, how um, uh, deliberately and granularly you are going to apply ESG and impact. So I think you will still have the ability to differentiate between fund investors that do it as a as a check the box exercise, as a tick the box, and uh, managers or investors that actually do it truly, truthfully right. because they want, they mean it, they intend okay. to do it. Now the point I that I want take to from Stefan. I would say yep. for Stefan, I give it back to you that uh, transparency becomes a competitive advantage because if you're not, you will not be able to differentiate. I completely, completely agree. And and in all of this framework, one thing that, uh, that Isabel said, which is 100% accurate as of today, but I hope it's going to change, is that impact as opposed to ESG today is felt to be something more for private markets, private investors, mm -hmm. investors, and therefore for high net worth individuals. Now, I firmly believe in the democratization of private investments going forward. I, I believe in the democratization of financial services. Financial inclusion is our core uh, agenda uh, item, our core tenet. But specifically for fund management and private investing, I am convinced we will atomize private equity. We will make it accessible to uh, everyone as one of the many asset management options and products. And hopefully tokenize it too. So Absolutely. then we are about to have a little break, only a few seconds, and I want everybody to stay connected because right after this break, we are going to talk about a very complex and subtle topic, the one of double materiality. If you want to know what double materiality is, stay online. We'll get back in a few seconds. FinTech Stage builds innovation ecosystems. We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners, and regulators to build trusted and connected FinTech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will improve people's lives. Through our immersive programs, we connect global industry experts with local financial services communities to explore, challenge, and solve important issues related to FinTech, RegTech, InsureTech, artificial intelligence, identity, and financial inclusion. The good news is that we have done it before. InnoTribe was the first and largest fintech movement worldwide, and our founders were amongst its orchestrators. We build programs with a wise combination of formats, partnerships, and content. It is experience-based, tailor-made, and proven to deliver results. Visit us at fintechstage.com, or feel free to send an email to operations at fintechstage.com for more information.
Welcome back to the second part of Breaking Banks Europe. Today we are at the um, series number one of four, 104, and we're talking about the ESG Billions Fund. We had a very interesting conversation in the first half, which led us into the concept of double materiality. And I want to restart from here. Double materiality is about linking financial performance and scientific evidence of improvement. Everything we said needs to be measurable easier said than done when a problem is so complex like uh, the climate change uh, or uh, the sustainability of, um, of a business uh, in the impact to the environment. Now, that is why regulation is very important because it needs to set the tone and the stage to make sure that uh, we are all operating in the right direction with the high and the most appropriate level of transparency. There is uh, some sort of a divide between uh, Europe and US. We will focus a bit more on the European side today in Breaking Banks Europe, but it's important as we have a global audience to understand the differences. Like uh, the US fiduciary standards, uh, which are um, set forth uh, the retirement uh, um, investment opportunities, uh, doesn't seem to accept double materiality. The Trump administration officials said that the fiduciary rules should focus uh, investment managers on retirees' financial interest uh, and material risk to returns rather than possible political issues. So, in essence, ESG considered like a political issue and materiality may not be fiduciary for investors. Now, this might change. The Department of Labor is uh, um, expressing the interest of uh, a revision of the approach. The ESMA in Europe, uh, the Security Market Authority, is uh, of a different sort. Uh, the opportunity to speak at the Consumer Protection Day of the European uh, um, Supervisory Authorities uh, just a few weeks ago. And um, the ESMA accepts the double materiality, the fact that uh, a fund can have an impact in terms of uh, financial performance, as well as the improvement of uh, the materiality in the real economy, so the environment, uh, environmental change, for example, but rebukes the assumption that ESG can be more expensive for uh, investors. Now, what they might ask uh, actually is that uh, instead of having increased fees, there is more transparency on the cost of research uh, in order to make uh, the investors aware of the effort which is made into building uh, the fund. In any case, uh, the fiduciary choice about social return disclosure seems to be accepted. So now I'm asking to Isabel, first of all, um, uh, as she works for a financial institution, what do you think the regulation is about today? And how do you think regulation is changing, at least in Europe, in your market, to help financial institutions better address the problematic of reporting and discussing ESG and sustainability with the funding investors? Well, uh, good and, and very broad uh, topic. Uh, I'd say in, uh, in Europe, uh, the regulations are, uh, again, uh, um, ensuring that ESG is not an option. It is a staple of conversations between investors and financial institutions. Uh, also, regulations are uh, fostering uh, reporting by companies on material ESG metrics and also uh, by product, uh, ESG product providers on uh, the ESG uh, characteristics uh, and uh, uh, impacts uh, of, their, of their solutions. And uh, finally, uh, we'll touch on it, but uh, regulations are um, attempting to lay out a classification, a taxonomy of activities which are uh, considered uh, sustainable. And uh, here, because uh, you rightfully alluded to the divide between the US and the uh, European approach, I I'd like to comment that uh, I still think 
uh, it's a sound practice uh, that the US uh, has to uh, really keep a focus on financial materiality. It's, you know, a, a reason why ESG has grown so much in popularity is uh, the empirical evidence by fund managers that ESG could deliver, uh, you know, uh, the double materiality, so positive impact on the environment and society, but also positive impact on, on performance. And we, we need to uh, keep focusing on that because, you know, values or good and bad are very subjective. I was alluding to the European taxonomy of sustainable activities. And one could believe, you know, it's kind of easy to agree on what's good for climate or, or the environment. Well, let's just look at the big debate uh, going on around nuclear energy. You know, should it be included or not? But also uh, the debate around uh, the, the full life cycle uh, impact of certain uh, renewable energies. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to uh, find a consensus on what's good and bad. And so sometimes being pragmatic, focusing on financial performance and the fiduciary duty mm -hmm. helps. And it's important, uh, I think, to, to keep it there. Finally, um, I just like to say that uh, I think the US has it right in their chronology. And they really start by focusing at the beginning of the chain, company reporting, and then also at financial uh, products. I think it's good to to see that the chain starts again with the real economy and companies. So Isabel, I want to get back to you in a moment uh, about uh, the other side of the moon. We have investments and we also have a lending, a sort of corporate world, uh, right? So there is also a need of uh, intruding a bit more into the corporate world with more information, more data in order to basically provide evidence uh, around um, the way the ESG on the sustainability decisions are made by a financial institution. But if you talk about data, I'm looking at Stefan um, um, as he work with uh, uh, the custodian problems, uh, the settlement issues. Uh, what is uh, ESG there for regulation, uh, uh, which, which is the impact uh, in terms of uh, your business? Uh, how do you see that evolving? Are you aligned? There's more that you have to do. You're expecting more changes to come. Uh, thank you for the question, uh, Paolo. Well, <clears throat> on the data point, um, I think we are, and actually also on the ESG side and, and potentially different viewpoints that you, you just mentioned, we are at the very early stage of this industry. Things will converge over time. It might take 10 years or so. But what is really important is this: is the, the, the new data element. Data elements, why? Because we see uh, more and more issuers themselves dictating what type of investors they want to have which is new because in the past an investor an issuer sorry was was just looking at raising capital for the sake of his own uh, project now he is demanding that uh, only certain profile of good investors now what does he means good investors uh, he wants to have and he wants to not necessarily get uh, the money flow from people he believes are not playing uh, with the right uh, rules of the game. So it, it's it's very interesting to see that both hands, the issuer as well as the investors, are becoming more and more demanding on what they want. So as in market infrastructure, and not just Europe here, but I think all of us, we have now to be able to customize the access to this information, the way everyone will consider 
what is good for him might not be the same as what's good for Isabella, Mateos, or yourself. So we all have our own definition, and we need to be able to get to the granularity level so that everyone can define what is good for him or what is bad for him according to his own view. That's one. The second thing at the heart of the data, it's the predictability of the demand, demand or supply. Predictability will become extremely important in the future. So we used to give um, potentially um, after the fact data transparency. If we were able to give real-time transparency, it was really good. But tomorrow's algorithms, fintech, and financial sectors will develop extremely intelligent forecast of demand or supply uh, 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 potential, which will drive this new industry. So it's, it's really at the heart of our economy. This, this data uh, transformation is going to be uh, material and very instrumental. So Stefan, you said something very important, which I call the consequentialist ethic. That means the synchronization of all the actors on both sides of the equation in terms of raising the bar to ask for more, to make sure that everybody does more in order to address the sustainability issue. But clearly, there is a problem of uh, keeping everything uh, aligned and uh, correct. And that's about making data available. Now, you see the data on one side, uh, where you look at uh, the broader distribution of uh, funds, investments, uh, and flows. And Matteo might see it from another side, like I might expect that a private equity company has prime information about the corporate strategy or a company strategy, so they can be more inclined or capable of differentiating between those that pretend and those they do. But in the end, I guess that the impact of ESG and sustainability would be that every company will be more inclined to open up and basically demonstrate uh, that uh, they put the money in the effort where their mouth is. So, Matteo, how do you see this problem from your uh, privileged perspective of a private equity investor? So, and, and you're right, it is a privileged position because we, we get so much more access to the financial information and the other information, let's call it for now the non-financial information um, uh, from a company. Um, and why? Because, and, 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 and why is it such a, such a big thing? And why is it wrong that it should be a privilege? Because actually access to non-financial information should be, in my opinion, and certainly in our opinion, on a par with financial information. In other words, the uh, predictability of what data one can obtain from an investee company, the predictability, the, the granularity of that uh, information, the uh, specific templates in which the information is produced um, that we're all very familiar with for financial information should be one and the same for non-financial information, for ESG information, for impact information. There should be an ease of production, a, an expectations, a clarity of expectation, which then will foster measurability. And, and therefore, going back to Stefan's point about data, the, the quantity of data being provided, allowing the end investor to make their own decisions, um, should be um, uh, helped by agreed principles globally in the same way as we have 
gap as we have IFRS, we should have a globally agreed system of reporting ESG and impact so that we no longer differentiate between, you know, the, the poorer cousins of the financial information, but rather it's all one and the same. It's reporting. You have to report on financial and non-financial data. Now, we try to do that with our portfolio companies, and we've never differentiated um, between financial and non-financial reporting with our portfolio. Right. Reporting on non-financial data is actually complex because uh, it's very broad. Uh, it can be all and not, nothing, all and everything, right? So systematizing that is not easy. So the, the, the role of communication is super important. Sustainability, Isabel, is also about the reputation of the financial institution in the end. So the capability of communicating that uh, becomes paramount. How do you see the role of uh, social media, therefore? So these small ants looking at what corporates do in order to direct uh, pressure. Uh, I know that Greta Thunberg was basically acting the activist to act these days to wake up. So. Is it good? Is it bad? Uh, so we, we all know that it, on the one side, uh, there is higher scrutiny, but on the other side, uh, there could also be unwanted consequences uh, in leveraging social media. How do you see that in terms of uh, uh, the sustainability strategy and the communication with uh, a new set of uh, people that are not participating to quarterly calls, but they are all talking about this real life? Well, uh... Yes, indeed. Uh, there's a big challenge uh, around communication, but I would say um, it is uh, in all sorts of media, uh, not only you know uh, social media. Uh, the the truthfulness of uh, companies and financial institutions' uh, communications on the environmental and, and social aspects of their practices and their products uh, is key. It, it needs to be transparent, and and then. To your question, uh, we, we know social media um, outside of ESG even entails uh, its specific challenges. You know, in, in the way certain uh, information uh, tend to to grow into uh, into a bubble and uh, uh, potentially uh, the the lack of control uh, on what is uh, said. But uh, to, to me, really, um, the the challenge here is around communication more broadly, uh, social media and beyond. Social media can be can act uh, as a, a kind of whistleblower. You know, it can be a control mm -hmm. uh, to cross-check what is communicated by companies and financial institutions. But it's just, you know, uh, one of the of the many ways uh, that uh, need need to be uh, used to ensure transparent communication. And and here, I really want to uh, insist because you know uh, there's been a lot of debate recently, you know, on whether uh, these green products actually walk the talk. I think we need to be mindful, A, of what we do. Uh, we should never be complacent. We need to improve our solutions every day to make sure, you know, they're state of the art. And believe me, it's a challenge because research, for example, gets better every day. So we need to keep abreast. And then, so we do the best we can, but more, even more importantly, we need to be extremely cautious about how we describe what we do. There should never be a misunderstanding mm -hmm. because it will cause... Uh, you know, disappointment, and it will really uh, hinder uh, the sustainable growth uh, of, of these markets. So we need to spend the time and effort to make sure clients are informed about what companies do, about what uh, financial uh, products do. And uh, as I said, again, we need to remain humble because we're on a journey. We need to get better every day. And we need to reckon what we do is a piece of the puzzle 
you know, uh, pretending that financial products in and of themselves are going to solve the climate crisis would be risky. It would be a distraction. It's a piece of the huge overall effort each of us uh, needs to do, and which I hope with you know, our jobs, uh, we, we merely contribute to. Yes, we, we need to grant ESG into reality. So, Stefan, I guess you, you also want to contribute. Yes, um, especially today, you know, this week, uh, you know, you choose the podcast probably at the right time with uh, the Glasgow uh, COP26. Uh, I mean, this is clearly uh, when it comes to the media and, and the perception, the, the challenge of greenwashing and, and, and so forth. Um, the way we look at this is, is that we are trying to build a platform and I don't like the concept, but sometimes it's easier to understand a little bit like Amazon, where you could have uh, uh, users, media, uh, investors, regulators, any one of those, uh, giving an opinion on on a specific project or a specific issuance. So like this, you're trying to um, mitigate the craziness of some uh, social media information by having the transparency of maybe more reliable sources like the World Bank or Inter-American Development Bank or someone else or an investor, which is like Matteo, much closer to the source. Nonetheless, you, 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 you also integrate the social uh, media sentiment, which gives the transparency back to what I said earlier, and the responsibility of reading that transparency to the consumer of, of that, that information, be it the investor or the regulators or even uh, the issuer, so that everyone has that transparency in the best way possible. That's that's why I call it a little bit this, this Amazon type of model, where um, I won't call it via stars or simple mechanisms like that, but something that gives you not only the sentiment of, of one, but the sentiment of many, so that you can give uh, make your own opinion out of it. So Stefan, uh, the opposite of transparency is uh, uh, opacity, is not privacy. Transparency is that uh, to protect the weakest link, which is uh, the final consumer, which is uh, the investor. Uh, basically is to be applied to every financial institution, every corporate uh, that uh, deals uh, with their business on this planet. So we need to ask them to be more transparent, but also to be capable of providing the data so that the transparency can be checked. Now, I have a last question for uh, uh, Matteo. Um, is about skills and knowledge or competencies. Um, the CIO, the Chief Investment Officer, used to care rightly or wrongly about expected returns, uh, sharp ratios, uh, complex measures. Now they have to deal with a bit more. So do you think that there is a need for uh, reskilling uh, the investment decision makers, the professional investment decision makers, uh, to be really capable of performing and directing the sustainability problem in good terms, as we said here, in proper terms? Resoundingly, yes, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind because I had to do it. I can, I can tell you that uh, six, seven years ago when I decided to uh, leave my previous firm and, and set up APIS, I, I literally thought, okay, what matters to me? What do I want to incorporate in this company? And how much do I know about it? So I decided very early on that I wanted to incorporate my principles in what I did every day. But that's where I stopped. 
So I actually had to study, to learn, to go and see the UNDP um, uh, uh, publications, the IRIS management systems, the IFC publications, the CDC publications, all the development, uh, developmental financial institutions, um, contributions to the dialogue around ESG and impact in private equity. And then sit down with some of the other market participants. I do financial services. So for me, it was Quona X Axion Labs. Uh, it was uh, Leapfrog. It was competitors, you may say. But actually, I prefer to call them uh, frenemies or competitors, if you want, where we sat down and we discussed how we're going to do this. And as you said, Paolo, earlier, it is complex to measure um, non-financial. It is. But just because it's complex, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing it and that we shouldn't learn how to do it. Um, we've, we've done many, many things which are much more complex. So we can do this. It's about um, proposing uh, standards, about debating them in the industry, about narrowing them down until we get something that is both useful and applicable at the same time. And for that, I had to study. So there is no doubt you have have to learn. So my dear friends, uh, I thank you for the conversation today. I've been hosting uh, multiple Breaking Banks podcast editions. This one is possibly my favorite uh, because it's a very relevant topic and it contributed uh, really amazingly at best. I guess we basically said that ESG has uh, the potential to unlock value and align investors around uh, societal values. Now, True said that right now we have not unlocked all the value that we could because of opacity in the information. We still need to find the right standards, the right explanation of the ratings, line up the language, make sure that we are not washing or giving washing in front of the investors. And also we know there are limitations in reporting the materiality, especially the materiality about the real impact on the climate. How can we link that? Possibly technology will help with the leveraging artificial intelligence, big data, learning from unstructured data, like connecting the dots so that we see basically that we are doing good, might not be resolving the whole problem, but contributing in a positive way in the positive direction. Now, regulators are definitely promoting better standards Answers across the pond, both uh, in the US and in Europe, different perspectives. But I believe that, as Isabel said, it is important, it's groundbreaking for everybody. So we are all going uh, in that uh, direction. And, and what I like about all of this is that uh, this might be forcing corporate players uh, to open up more uh, in discussing publicly and opening the real strategy in terms of how they real tackle this problem. And if nothing else, this will be the biggest benefit that financial institutions, financial services bring into the sustainability topic because um, they still work on the artifact of financial contracts, but that has a huge impact into the real economy, which is the one that really matters around the world. Now, social media becoming more and more uh, influential to scrutinize uh, good and bad examples uh, is made about people. We are all uh, stakeholders. Breaking banks uh, is one of the stakeholders on a global economy, so we are all demanding for more. I thank you for the conversation. I thank the audience for attending in particular. I thank Societe Generale for powering this 103rd episode of Breaking Banks, the Carbon Series under the title ESG Billions Funds. Stay tuned, follow us on all your preferred podcast platforms. We are here for making conversations about the transformation of the world. And that's a wrap. 
Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.